Hello and welcome to Geeks with Shields, your home for all things good and nerdy in this The Dark Timeline. I'm Lord Commander Orc, and with me is o His shield brother, Axel Wright. How's it going today, Axel? I am tired. Just tired. But I'll try to bring my tone up as we go. Yeah, definitely getting some uh, monotone levels from you. Yeah, I'll work on it. Alright, let's start this episode the same way we start every episode, by thanking our patrons. They are Pam Galley, Marky, Orion McCann, Chris Chipman, River Galley, Prug, and Anne Elmquest. Now, if you'd like to become one of those special, special people, head on over to patreon.com forward slash geekswithshield. It only costs you 25 cents an episode, and it goes towards things like hosting fees, equipment, and general time for us, because this takes a lot of time. Speaking of which, one of those, well, speaking of patrons, one of those people you listed is with us here today. Go ahead, Woonvog. Hello, great to be back. How's uh, how's the day's been treating everybody? Too damn all right. Yeah, also, I can understand that. I don't know if this is necessarily something that was meant to be obvious, but Woonvog equals Marquis. So Patreon person Marquis, <laughs> guest Woonvog, same guy. I wear many hats. <laughs> exactly. Anyway, so th- today's topic was actually his idea. So why don't you lead us into it, Winbug? Well, speaking of uh, like days, day- days being too long, it's uh, kind of a fun setup with it. Is I always wondered about with uh, shows that, and this is going back to the very original when Fonzie did it in Happy Days, jumping the shark. Yeah, um, <clears throat> you know, shows either go too long or they try to do something fresh or quote unquote. Uh, radical to try and get more people to watch it, and it usually just makes it come off as odd, strange, or even in some of the worst cases, kind of kills the uh, excitement that was there for the show. And if you don't mind, I don't know... I mean, it's sad for me to think that there probably is a sizable portion of people on the internet now who don't know what Happy Days is. And even if they've heard the term Jump the Shark, they maybe have a slight inkling. So, yeah, Happy Days was a show back in the 70s or something like that about, you know, a group of kids in this pretty small town. You know, think things like Friends or, I don't know, How I Met Your Mother, you know, those style of shows, but it was about these teenagers that just lived in this town. And, you know, they were the happy days of these kids and their youth. One of the characters was the coolest characters, this guy called uh, Fonzarelli, you know, the Fonz, who always wore this leather jacket, was played by Henry Winkler. And, uh, oh, fun fact, he, he only was allowed to wear a leather jacket when there was a motorcycle. Like, there was a... That's what the studio said. Essentially, the producers were like, you can only wear the other jacket when there's motorcycles. So they would find excuses to have the motorcycle like inside places. It's ridiculous. That's anyway. wonderful. Yeah, anyway, you do things like you'd hit the jukebox to turn it on. So if you've ever seen that in shows and don't know what Happy Days, that kind of started that. Like, it, a lot of things you know, are homaging to Happy Days. It's one of those original kind of sitcoms. Uh, the main kid is actually uh, Ron Howard, who... You know, if anyone today younger than me knows him, it's probably as a director, actually, and not as, you know, Opie in the Andy Griffith show, which I know him from because I watch a lot of old television. Point anyway. So, yeah, the show was, uh, you know, think like that 70s show. That's a better comparison. So yeah, that ha- 70s show even made a joke about jumping the shark. And exactly. Literally Fonzie jumping the shark. So the the setup, and this is literalized. the The term "jump the shark" literally yes. comes because a late a late season episode of Happy Days. I I haven't watched Happy Days since I was like ten or something like that, so I don't know the details. But 
they had a scenario where Fonzie literally was on a uh, not a water ski, but the what, what do they call that? Moonvog when they're uh, on the is it water wave skiing? runner? Uh, wave runner? I guess yeah, water skiing or like if you're on a jet ski. Yeah. Okay. So he, he was doing that, and he went over a ramp over or onto a ramp over a essentially tank or at least area that was filled with sharks. So he literally jumped over these sharks, and when he landed. He wasn't wet. He was still wearing his leather jacket the whole time. The The whole thing was weird and dumb on its own, but unex- inexplicably, every episode afterward seemed to have this very noticeable drop in quality. But if you you could probably find a lot of like reasons for it nowadays, but my understanding is it had to do with producer notes becoming more invasive. I mean, that's why they did that thing in the first place and essentially desperately trying to claw back ratings from previous seasons. And so because it was such a famous event, it became the general term used to describe any time a show is at level A of quality, does has a very specific event or cutoff, and afterwards is shit. And production meddling usually is one of the major reasons for it, unfortunately. Anyway, there's the, the long-winded explanation of the term that describes today's conversation. <laughs> oh, or another way that I've heard it put that's really fun... Uh, Usually more specific in a shorter series, when it's good all the way through, but right at the climax or conclusion, it just falls flat on its face, is called Shitting the Bed. Yep. That's, that's, I don't want to know where that one came from. <laughs> I, I don't need to have that term described to me. I know that I felt that way about Luke Cage, personally, but that's just me. <laughs> just You wake up and it's a mess. So should we go ahead and talk about one of the shows we referenced, uh, That 70s Show, maybe the most famous example of jumping the shark for our age group? Well, I guess outside of you know actual Happy Days, sure. Happy it's Days is not our age group, Grandpa. Well, I just meant that it's you said most famous, and I feel like the fact that for the term... For our age group, any- I predicated it. I know our senior quality is going to be going, hey, Happy Days was my age group. We thank you for your listening, but you are, according to the analytic. The very smallest minority. Hi, mom. <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like there's a certain reverence for old shows. It's important for me. But anyway, yeah, that seventy show. So we kind of have mentioned before that 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 seventy show had a somewhere around season. I think it was season five, either the beginning of season five or something like that. Uh, it's marked by a few things that happen, like changing the. I mean, there are people out there. That seventy show was a show about a bunch of kids in the seventies. There, there's your setup. <laughs> in like season five, they switched the actress who played. The main character's sister. There well, was didn't something happened to her between filming. I, I feel like there's a story there. Yeah, I believe it had to do with drug use and arresting and stuff oh, like that. So uh, yeah, uh, Google that afterwards. Uh, I'm not gonna go into. That. I knew it was something bad. I think it was that. Yeah, but point is that was like the first sign of um, okay, this actress isn't nearly as good, and it's she's destroying the scene she's in, which is too bad. And then a few other things happened, like little things, because there were still some plot lines in that sense that kept it going because around this time also kitty was going to menopause which led to some of the best scenes so it hadn't that quite good yeah so it hadn't quite fully jumped the shark yet but the, you know they made an actual joke where one of the characters fez had a dream where he was fonzie jumping the shark so they made comment about it but you know a number of things happened like i know that the the ultimate kill switch was that in the last season they replace the main character entirely well, the second to last show. season they wrote him off which is the big one everyone says the show jumped the shark when eric went off to africa and yeah that last season is unwatchable i will argue it was worse before that but i want to get your guys's take on it 
No, I agree. Like I said, for me, it, it really cuts off right around that season where they replaced Lori, but it just was fully unwatchable after they got rid of Eric. Yeah. Yeah. I never, uh, I admittedly never watched a lot of uh, 70s show. I've heard good things up to certain points, but that uh, it blows me away that for the final season, they just straight up changed the main character. They started combining characters, which is really a warning sign because a lot of them were taking off and becoming famous or trying to become uh, famous. Okay. So they started combining characters and bringing in new characters. But the point I say it really just jumped the shark for me is the two main characters, Eric and Donna, they're built up as this couple. You follow them throughout the show, through the good, through the bad, and they're going to get married. And then they go, oh, wait, if we have them get married, then we have to, you know, write new stuff for them. So let's stop them getting married. And when that happens, the show really stops all forward momentum, and it kind of sits there spinning its wheels. As Axel said, you got a couple great jokes like Kitty going through menopause, Red's always a great laugh, but it's just they're coming up with excuses for them to stay in the exact same place they were, and... It's not fun anymore. Well, uh, so it, the show the show <clears throat> tried to counter it by putting more focus on other things, like a lot of focuses on Jackie's relationship, whether it was with Hyde or at one point, even oddly enough, Fez, which was weird. That was and, dumb. Yeah, yeah. The point is the show was trying to sh- turn focus elsewhere so that Eric and Donna, who were the emotional centerpiece of this entire show, mm-hmm. they were this stuck in position and it was, you know, very hard to work around that. So uh-huh. from the sounds of it, with, especially with the relationship thing, it kind of sounds like they Peter Parkered them. Oh God. Yeah. That's actually a great <laughs> analogy for it. Yeah. Which again, uh, going into detail on that with, of course, many people who've probably read comics a lot more than I have. If, Peter Parker and Spider-Man, they keep dancing around, keep giving him a more adult uh, relationship with, like, Mary Jane with, so that they can just keep writing him as a teenager, more or less. The uh, the Bachelor lifestyle, and from what I've heard, a lot of fans have gotten sick of it, and it culminated ultimately into one more day. Ooh. Which is infamously known as one of the worst Marvel comics, which is pretty heavy oh i will argue it is one of the worst oh it does oh ulrich no like <laughs> so yeah that's kind heard, of the format for this show we're going to talk about corbin what's your best example for this is a show that i liked or that you liked that you think jumped the shark um one that i actually watched a while back and it was pretty rough was uh it was an anime st- titled uh another which kind of had this cool Cool, like ghost murder mystery thing going on, and the show is about this um, class, this high school class, where it's under the effects of like some curse that, as the year goes on, a uh, a ghost appears in the class. So they effectively they don't know who it is, and if if they try to address it, the kids of the class just start dying in accidents one by one. Um, so it's up to the, uh, main character to try and figure out the mystery and solve, you know, who is the ghost that's causing the, the deaths to occur. And it was an interesting and kind of eerie mystery thriller right up to the end where it basically broke all of its own rules to keep the mystery a secret until they told you who it was. 
haven't you seen that be a problem with a lot of like mystery shows in general? Didn't that same thing happen like the Higurashi and whatnot? Higurashi, in, in a sense, but it in in the in Higurashi, which you know, also titled "When They Cry," uh, it's still a it is a mystery, but it's played up more in the horror sense instead of the them trying to figure out what's happening. It's more these cr- these scary things are happening. Uh, and it leaves the audience in mystery instead of saying, let's solve this. See, I, I just meant that it's it, that thing where it's like it's seemingly convolutedly extending a mystery for the obvious purpose of just having more show. Like, oh, where, I see. Where you can see the strings being pulled by the writers behind, you know, losting it, essentially. Um, not entirely, because the biggest problem with Another is it sets out very defined rules that this curse is following, and then breaks those to keep it a secret uh, by the end of the show. See, maybe you guys can uh, clarify this for me, because I'm not a big anime guy. We did a whole episode about it. But I kind of feel like anime really runs the risk of jumping the shark because it go a lot of them go on for so long. And I feel that is the longer a show goes, the more likely it is to just crash and burn. See, already that show's... You, you sh- okay, Ulrich, something you got to realize is that, and I'm not exaggerating, 90% of ma- of anime that exists is not longer than 12 episodes. Like, a okay, vast well, majority. My perception of anime is mostly from the ones that go on forever. Yeah, that's, that's why I'm telling you that, like, a vast majority of anime are actually pretty short. It's just so, like, Shonen, for instance, tend to go on for a long time. It's because Shonen are adapted from, essentially, usually from manga that are in, like, something like Shonen Jump, where they're trying to do a, you know, keep readers every week much closer to, like, Western comics. And when you try to adapt that, you know, that goes really long. But, yeah, vast majority of anime are short, actually. Okay, well, how about a short one that I know that I will pinpoint when it jumped? Death Note. I will well, argue that Death Note definitively jumped the shark. We can talk. I I agree with you, but I don't want to jump off of another quite yet because this is this supernatural. Yeah, I we never got. This, so yeah, yeah. Marky uh, Wunvog, bring us back around yes. to how this one jumped it. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, and you know, spoiler warning: if you ever want to watch it, it's not bad, but the ending is disappointing. Hence, we're talking about it. <laughs> uh, so it ends in. Some of the kids basically start panicking, saying, you know, if we get rid of the ghost, maybe everyone will stop dying. So a few a few of them take that as, you know, let's just start killing people until the ghost goes away. Um, but the whole through the whole series, it sets up this idea of one of the students is the ghost. It's an extra student. It will always be the student. And the reveal at the in the last episode is it was the teacher's assistant who was the ghost. So and- it's like <laughs> and yeah, it's like okay. So you told you set up this whole mystery in thinking I, I need to figure out which one of these students is the one that's causing these problems. And no, it was it was this other character who you're only giving us the information on her right now to prove that it is the ghost instead of letting us figure it out. Ah, uh, I call that. Personally, and here's where I want to make a stance on that's very Sherlock Holmesy to me because yeah, True. I know Sherlock Holmes is the most famous fictional detective ever. But have any of you ever read 
actual Sherlock Holmes stories. Like, I've read yes. a bunch of Sherlock Indeed. Holmes. Yeah, and I and I love them, but they're not good mystery stories because basically they don't give you anything. At the end of the stories, in the last like three pages, Sherlock just shows up with some information he found off screen, quote unquote, and it's like, oh, and then here's why this is the answer. You're not wrong, but I still want to defend it somehow and say at least there you can see point A, B, and C. To me, this sounds like it veered left straight into a wall. And and that really is kind of how it felt, because it felt like through the, the first part of the series was an Agatha Christie mystery, which then took a hard right into Sherlock Holmes' reveal at the end. Yeah, because even if you say that Sherlock Holmes gives you A, B, and C, it's more like he gives you A, 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 and then the very last page, B, C, and D. <laughs> so, well, at least there's a consistent through line. This just sounds... Yeah, it, I don't know. It was... Well, it, it was sounds, sudden it and sounds disappointing. Like a joke, it sounds dishonest, is what it sounds like. It sounds like you're saying one of the main issues is that the, the show established, you, as you point out, establishes very con- the concrete set of rules and says, hey, this is a mystery. Part of the fun of watching this is to go along with the mystery. Here are the pieces of the mystery for you to investigate. Here are the rules for the mystery for you to investigate. But the solution requires breaking one of the rules, and we're not going to tell you that. And that makes it feel like, the show has been disingenuous. Like it's almost insulting to the audience then. Right? And that is exactly off. what happens. I have no vested investment in this and I'm kind of pissed off for you. Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it was just basically a big blue balling for a final episode. I mean, it's that's like, like oh, that was it. Awesome. I mean, that sounds like if I was reading, you know, murder on the Orient express and at the end, it, it turned out that the killer was someone who, you know, or the killer was like a werewolf. Like, oh, I didn't know there was supernatural stuff in this book. So <laughs> that exactly. might make that a better read, though. <laughs> Not the point. Like, the point no, is, I, I get it, but I'm just thinking. And suddenly, a werewolf was on the train, and be like, holy shit, okay. <laughs> yeah, but like Agatha Christie, one of the established rules when you go in is that generally speaking, her her the Hercule Poirot stories are grounded in reality. Whatever the solution is going to be, it's going to be something that could actually happen. So just suddenly throw like a supernatural element into it at the end would be disingenuous and feel like a, a breach of the promise made by the book. You know, so I, I'm just giving an example. I want to see a horror movie with a werewolf on a train. That'd be cool. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> now, as for you death can call note, it silver bullet because it's a bullet train. Damn it! I knew we'd get there eventually, and that's perfect. <laughs> okay. Back anyway. on somewhat topic. Uh, <laughs> you, you mentioned Death Note, which I think is a, a very interesting example because. So the thing with another, it sounds like it definitely does the more. It's right at the end, so it's not necessarily jumping the shark. I mean, generally, this conversation is just about shows that. Yeah, really okay. failing the later. Then let's but say this: jumping the shark. The death is when, definitely. Let's 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 put down some just general parameters. For us. When I, at least for me, when I'm saying jumping the shark, I mean halfway to three quarters through, it does something that ruins the rest of it. Shitting the bed is when the end or the very end just totally ruins itself. And to me, Death Note's ending 100% shits the bed. But I'd say Death Note actually jumps the shark because in with my experience with Death Note, both in the anime and the manga form, which I own all of, I like Death Note, but Nerd. I really feel that I really feel that halfway through when spoiler for anyone who hasn't read Death Note yet, but when L dies, the story loses all of its momentum and flounders because it fails to know what it wants to do with 
anything after that and this quality really decreases heavily it's a shock and it's certainly like oh wow they killed the other main character and we're nowhere near what seems to be the ending but then it has no follow-through so i think that's a great anime example of jumping the shark also can we just say this is going to be spoilers throughout because of what we're talking how we're talking about this we're talking about moments in shows and how they ended there's going to be spoilers guys yeah we we've made the comment plenty of times. There's been there's moments to leave, so I, I feel the I feel the warning has been addressed. Well, okay. I don't think any of these shows are going to be relatively contemporary. True. I mean, like what what's the worst thing we could talk about? It would be like Game of Thrones, and that never. Ju- and some people might argue that it jumped the shark, but I disagree. So <laughs> I will fight you in the park down the street. Nine o'clock. Be there. Anyway, uh, Ulrich. I mean. Do you do you agree with what I'm saying though? Would you feel oh, that yeah. that's an? See, here's the thing. I've given a lot of thought about Death Note because Death Note is one of the very few animes I really, really, really like. In that it has two good endings. It has the first ending, which I consider the canonical ending when L dies, and then the secondary ending, which is okay, but I still have issues with. And that is the true ending, but it's the stuff in the middle that just what is this? I mean, I, I would expect a little more explanation from that, Ulrich. <laughs> No, it's not going to happen with this one. <laughs> uh, okay, fine. You're so helpful to the show we're trying to put on, but uh, I'll just I'll just take over. I'm here just then. I'm not in the head state to discuss the intricacies of Death Note right now. Okay, well then let me say that when I first heard this idea that uh, Wunvog brought up, I thought my first thought was Dexter. But the longer I thought about it, the more I thought Dexter doesn't actually apply necessarily because, first of all, Dexter's quality dipped and dived and waned and went back up for a while. I think it's a good example of it jumped the shark, but it managed to stick the landing and then jump the shark again, right? I I haven't seen Dexter. uh, I only have your word to go off of. And and just, just listen. So Dexter's first season is the second highest point right the second season is just a little bit lower it's not bad third season is terrible fourth season is literally the best season fifth season is okay sixth is bad seventh gets a little bit better and then eighth is like the worst so it has this weird kind of up and down thing there's also no real if if there's any single moment where all hope in my opinion is lost it's not until season seven so it's like near the end even though the quality dip in season six was already so bad so there's no like one moment and there's so it's more like just this general kind of decline so i don't think it it counts i think a better example of a show which did jump the shark although i have heard that it's been getting better recently is supernatural because i can point to a single moment in a single episode where from that point on i checked out entirely not just because the moment but because the stories got worse and worse as it went i will say (laughs) this i think there is a peak of supernatural and i think there's a point when it jumped the shark and i have been kept up with it i think it has never gotten better past when it jumped the shark so i want to hear your thoughts on when you think it jumped okay now i will establish as i've said many times supernatural's story season one through five is solid because that was the story it meant to tell and then it kept going you know what season six it's not terrible it's actually pretty enjoyable i'd still say generally the same thing as it goes there are reasons to watch it up until i think it's season nine where they introduce these things called the leviathans i like the leviathans the exact moment for me where the jump the shark happened is where they they 
introduce a concept called bibbing, where it's forcing a Leviathan to eat itself, but it is stupid. It is presented in the show as this like horrifying thing that they have to do, but no one controls or manipulates them. It's basically saying, eat yourself or we'll eat you, which doesn't make any sense as a threat because and it's dumb to look at and it involves a bib it's like oh my god it's so that exact moment was i remember seeing it thinking it's idiotic and it also happened to coincide the same season they kill off bobby the best supporting character in the show thank you for saying it and not making me have to yeah so and then every story afterward just got dumber and worse and more extreme and the leviathans were terrible villains their their end game plan was stupid and uninteresting and this moment of bibbing is the like watermark of stu- stupid in supernatural for me i You're cannot take that seriously that name yeah, yeah that's what they call it they attach a plastic red lobster bib to them and it takes all the threat out of them yeah, it's, it's ridiculously dumb. It sounds like problem. a fetish you'd find in the middle of the night when you're searching too late on the web. I'm sure it is, and I don't want to find out what that is. Now, but... I've I've read some reviews that say in season like 13 and 14 they started they started getting better because they started going back to basics. You know, not having every plot be you know shit like that. But I don't know. I because I stopped watching basically after the that season with the Leviathans. I've fucking checked out. <laughs> I've kept up. Slagathor and I have continued to watch. We're going to get to the end. I will say this. I enjoyed the Leviathans, but here's the problem with that, and that's why I will say the Leviathans are where they jumped the shark, is the whole premise set up is God had to, you know, bring all the angels together to def... Oh, no, that was a different one. Sorry. But the Leviathans were this big, terrible menace that God himself locked away, and yet we're going to believe two humans are going to defeat that. And it just really kind of goes, okay, you guys are reaching now. You've continued to cap yourselves and you've reached the point you can't cap past this. It has just gone too far. It has become unbelievable. And that was always kind of the show's strength was like, okay, this seems rough, but this is doable. And when you're fighting monsters that God himself struggled to contain, it becomes this, oh, this is just dumb. Okay, I, I also wanna I wanna do a little bit more for me personally than just say, hey, here's the show, here's what went bad. Oh, go it ahead. Bad. I mean, we, can, so, we can go about this however we want. Well, no, I just mean that like for me, philosophy and explanation are important. So I want to say why I think that this happened, right? Because I'm not a producer or a writer. I can't tell you exactly what the decision making behind this season and this scene was. I can tell you that as an audience member and an avid viewer of shows and stuff, the feeling that I got from the Leviathan story arc and Bibbing in particular is they were like, all right, we need to find, we need to create something that's more viscerally horrifying than demons. So let's make this thing with that has like piranha face and what's more horrifying than getting killed? How about cannibalism? Oh, uh, what about what about eating yourself? Yeah, that'll scare the audience. So this like short-sighted, what is the best way to shock and horrify the audience? And it, in my opinion, backfired entirely into this is stupid and ridiculous. Like, does that make sense? Oh yeah, one hundred percent. It really kind of felt like they needed to raise the stakes and make these things terrifying. And on paper, it does sound terrifying. But with a TV budget, it just looks goofy. And seriously, who thought, oh yeah, plastic bibs, that's just 
And maybe they were trying to stride the line that Supernatural always has does between humor and horror, but I uh, no, that plastic bib was never it, it. It leaned too far into the not funny. Yeah, I, I, I think it's. Oh, go ahead. As I haven't seen the episodes you're talking about, but from the sounds of it too, it's like if they're tr- if trying to lean into the comedy aspect of just how absurd this scenario is of auto cannibalism. Uh, you can't like. It sounds like at that point, at least with what Axel said, they're trying to have their cake and eat it too, because you can't make something as ludicrous as "Oh, you put on this bib, you're going to eat yourself," but also try to make it appear to be the most horrifying thing you've ever seen. The Leviathans like, definitely skated that line a lot. Like at one point, they poured nacho cheese on somebody before they ate them, and the joke was, "Everything's better with cheese." Okay. Yeah, and their whole and their whole plan in the season was to make a company so that they could basically inject food with a substance that would make people docile so that the human population would just become essentially mindless sheep. Supposed to be like it was very obvious, like, oh, look at this commentary on how corporations and capitalism actually turn people into, you know, sheeple, but it just came out ham fisted and stupid. They're not uh, smart enough to, you know, pull that one off, unfortunately. Yes. So, like, that's what I feel, you know, with the Death Note one, It's I feel like it's, hey, I wrote this great story, and I want to have the shocker, but I didn't know how to follow up on it. With the another, it feels like I wrote this great mystery, but I kind of backed myself into a corner, and so the only way I could come up with a surprise is to break my own rules. You know, it, it's like, I, I like to try to think about, okay, not just mm-hmm. the show went bad, but why did this decision get made? Why did the follow-through suck? <laughs> okay, I want to do a twofer. They both suffered from the same issue. And okay. those are How I Met Your Mother and Scrubs. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, they suffered from the worst sitcom trope imaginable that I hate with such an abiding hatred because it ruins so many great shows. It's the mother effing will they, won't they. <laughs> If you can tell, I'm I, I have strong feelings about this because it has ruined so many shows I like. So I can definitely funny? understand that with Scrubs. Anyway, I didn't have to experience this really because literally the last episode I saw was I think it was the end of season seven. Maybe it was the one where uh, where JD and Elliot were like in um, a a cot together and they both had some terrible days and they were like kind of starting to lean towards each other you know because they were weak but i never saw the season after that see here's the thing that wasn't the end of the season that was three episodes before the end of the season ah well that was the last episode i saw so yeah you're lucky because you don't see the fallout from it go on see a little bit of backtracking i love scrubs scrubs is one of my favorite shows we talked about it at some point as to the why i love it so much so go back listen to that so here's the setup jd our main character has found a woman he loves who loves him who is about to have his child elliot the other main character is about to get married with a man that she loves and they're both looking to go you know what we've had this on again off again but we have concluded we're not good for each other we have found people that we love and love us and the show goes but what if they got together again? And JD ends up leaving the mother of his child to be with her. She ends up calling off the wedding, but doesn't go together with JD. So we can have a whole nother season of will they, won't they, before they unite together again. And they are a terrible, god-awful couple. So would you say that's the moment then? 
Like that's the oh shark. yeah, it is one hundred percent because this whole season is leading up to them realizing they were not good together as a couple, and that they had found people they could be together with, and then they have this weird moment like, but what if? Which is the moment that Axel referenced that stomps on the brakes, destroys these two perfectly good relationships for the sole reason of one more season of will they, won't they? No, I thought uh, I thought uh, the girl I can't remember her name right right now. I thought she's the one that broke up with JD. Well, it's all because JD starts backpedaling as she's, you know, giving birth to his son. Mm-hmm. And he won't say he loves her because he might love Elliot. And it's just god awful. Right. And annoying. No, you... And it throws away so much character growth. Like, we have literally seen JD. We had a whole episode where JD looks back on this whole, well, his feelings with Elliot and back and forth and realizing, this has been stupid. I am with a woman that loves me and she's about to have my child. Why am I focusing on this? Okay, so what do you hypothesize is the impetus behind this decision? I mean, it sounds like you're saying it's, hey, there's this cliche of the will they, won't they? And they basically didn't want to, the writers didn't want to give it up. They wanted to continue playing around with it for another season at least right that's what it sounds like you're saying it i will say and the same thing happens with how i met your mother because how i met your mother is a will they won't they that is now infamous it's because the writers commit to this idea of will they won't they and i largely blame friends because friends made buku off the whole will they won't they Indeed. I would I would say though that at least from my experience, and I watched How I Met Your Mother all the way through. I don't feel like there's any one moment. I feel like How I Met Your Mother was just the victim of fatigue. It just basically you reach a point, you know, roughly in the middle of season five, I'd say, where it's just like I'm tired of this. There's no one yeah. thing that happened. No, so. How I Met Your Mother is a shit to bed situation. Scrubs is a jump the shark. But both suffer from the writers decided that these two characters needed to end up together. That was always their plan. But they want to do the will they, won't they, because that keeps people coming back. Because friends did it. And this is, again, why I love communities, because community did that, and then at the last minute went, no, nah, this is dumb. God bless community. Well, God bless four-fifths of community, at least. Yeah, right? well, we can talk about community later, because it also jumps the shark at a point. But back <laughs> to these ones. And it again, I don't know if it was producers. I don't know if it was writers determined to stick to this. We wrote these two characters to end up together. We're going to see them together. But let's do this whole will they, won't they. But as for Scrubs, that is the moment it jumped the shark because it destroyed all this character growth and these really good characters we had grown to like for the sake of will they, won't they, and then finally bringing them together at the end because that's how you have to end a will they, won't they. As for How I Met Your Mother, it did the same thing almost. It introduced a character we liked. It, you know, we really came around to it and then destroyed all of that because they had to end it this way. How I Met Your Mother is a victim of refusing to change. I do, I do feel like that the actress they got to play the actual mother was pretty awesome and that like I totally bought the relationship going in. So to just suddenly just offer did seem pretty fucked up. I was like, why can't you just end it with, yeah, that's her, and have a little epilogue that shows the kind of what they already did but without her dying. You know? See, the funny thing is that's exactly what they did. They filmed and wrote that and had that all set out. But they decided to go with the original ending because that's what they had, you know, set out to do from the beginning. And that's why I say How I Met Your Mother shit the bed and is an effect of they were unable to deviate from their original plan, even though at that point everyone's going, oh, no, this is much better. Now, funny enough, I think I actually have a different part of uh, Scrubs where I feel it jumped the shark. Okay. And it's not far off from where you're talking about because, yeah, that... Like, looking back at it, that's problematic for a lot of reasons. 
But uh, I still actually really liked the what was the final episode of season seven. Oh, yeah, that's uh, a, it's I, one of the best season enders. Yeah, and I felt that was that was a great end to the series because it was JD leaving the hospital to work at a hospital so he could be closer to his son. Uh, and it goes on this whole thing, and the end, the ending shot is just beautiful. It just has him turn a corner, and he is suddenly in a hallway full of all the original like guest stars and other actors that had been on the show that he learned lessons from. And he like looks to like you know what what does the future hold for me and maybe it can have this maybe it won't but either way it's going to be okay because I'll be happy and I have people who care for me and it was a great end of the series and then they made season eight it doesn't yeah, I exist feel, I, I refuse to acknowledge its existence I feel like there is a special <laughs> special kind of jump the shark that isn't even which normally which isn't that term because. That, that term implies that the scene itself that causes the problem is also a problem, but there's a special kind where it's like, no, this is actually a perfect end to the story, and then they just keep on going, <laughs> even though they shouldn't. Yeah, and that's kind of what happened with, with Scrubs, is like, because it completely changed up the cast. I think JD was only seasoned for half, and... They all kind of drop in and out to try and, you know, convince you to come over, but it's so bad. Yeah, like, as far as I've seen, because I admittedly only got through half of season eight, and it, that was still kind of rough, none of the uh, original female uh, characters showed up, and I'm like, those were some of the best characters. Well, shows up for, like, one episode to say, hey, I'm pregnant, and then disappears. And, yeah, that was it, and then she's like, hi, I'm pregnant, I'll see you later, bye. I've tried to delete that from my memory because, again, I love Scrubs. And while, yes, it jumps the shark, that final season isn't half bad if you ignore the Elliot bits. Yeah. That season eight, there is nothing good in there. And is that the thing, like, on a long enough timeline, every show eventually jumps the shark? Uh, I mean, I suppose, technically speaking, there are not many shows. I, actually, you can't say that, right? Because every generalization is false. And arguably, all right, this is a very contentious one. I don't think Simpsons ever jumped the shark. Yes, there are people who say that like Simpsons is, has a you know noticeable dip in quality necessarily, but and I haven't kept up with enough to say firsthand. But I have several friends who've gone back recently and watched like all of it, and they they tell me that it never really gets bad. It just stops being as relevant because basically the world around it changed. And Simpsons has been on TV longer than basically any other show that's not a soap opera. And and it, hey, as opposed literally, I think the longest show that was ever on air was a it was a soap opera called um it wasn't the young and the restless it was like guiding light which was on for 70 years i want to say I think. The, yeah i think it was that one or it was the hot one of the hospital ones it was one of the other i can't remember which. Nah, i'm pretty sure it was i'm pretty sure something like guiding light because it started off as a radio show and then continued in continuity to television so it was 70 years long and i mean i'm not a soap opera fan i'm but I, I can enjoy a good melodrama. Hell, I'm watching Gotham right now, and Gotham is, if anything, a melodrama. But, you know, so I, I would say that, that that statement's not necessarily true, but you have to understand what your material is and how to work within your material to keep it from, from doing that. Let me rephrase it then. I think on a long enough timeline, the longer you go on as a show, the greater the risk is that you're going to jump the shark. And for me, right around nine seasons. And in regards to the Simpsons thing, we'll look behind the curtain. 
someday we're going to do some form of podcast on The Simpsons because I've been going back season by season, taking notes to see if the show ever really stopped being good because I'm a diehard Simpsons fan. I have yet to find it. I have not. I mean, it does dip in quality. There are the perfect seasons and there is the point that it stops being as good. But for everyone, it is not the principal and the popper. That is one bad episode in a great season. So shut the fuck up. <laughs> anyway, I feel like uh, we kind of... Anyway, Wundvog, do you have another one for us? I feel like we kind of stole this from you, and I wanted to give you more opportunity. <laughs> oh, no worries. This is It's fascinating, and just hearing YouTube banter is always a treat. <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, yeah, I'd say... Uh, I do agree with uh, Ulrich, the setup of uh, the longer a show goes, the the greater the risk of of the shark jumping. I feel uh, like because- I feel like a caveat, though, is that you could reach a point where you become almost immune to it. And that's what soap operas do. They reach like a a point where it's no longer possible because they've gone on so long that just they maintain this certain level of. I don't even know what to call it, but I feel like Simpsons is in the same thing, where it's like, you've been on so long now that it's basically impossible to to really jump the shark. To an extent. Uh, but yeah, I'd say, like, the big, the bigger threat as it show gets on longer, too, is, uh, like, seasonal fatigue. And I know we've talked uh, said a little bit about that earlier, where it's just, you start losing sight of what it was, or you don't know what to do, and the show just kind of starts feeling tired. Yeah. yeah. Um. That fits in, I think, decently well to uh, another show that I was thinking of. Um, and it's not so much that it jumped the shark, although it kind of did with what some people felt, and that is uh, the anime Shonen Bleach. You know, as we were talking, I was thinking that Bleach and Naruto could both fit in this conversation, but in different ways. Because, you know, Bleach... I only watched the first three seasons. Afterwards, I basically lost all interest. But I know that I mean the the I've heard the famous bount arc is the jump the shark arc, and that's what season eight or something like that. Four, four. Okay, so no, I was never mind. I was probably literally the right after you wa- stopped watching because that arc is the first filler arc where it none of it is from the original uh, manga's story and. It just dips in quality. None of the characters are super memorable. Doesn't matter because you know they're not a part of the story and they aren't going to be for much longer. And now this, this funny enough, this is very easy to point to why this is a problem because this happens in anime all the time. The For anyone who's not a big anime fan, right, most, most anime, not all, but a lot of anime are adapted from a manga, which is basically a comic. It's a black and white comic. And because manga actually takes a long time to do, uh, most manga don't come out on a, like a weekly basis, actually. Uh, you know, very few do. But the better mangas can take, you know, like a month to come out. And anime generally has to come out, you know, week by week. They'll do a whole season in, in a production and then put it out. But because of that the anime will almost always reach a point where it's caught up with the manga. So then it needs to essentially pull back and give the manga time to get more story out. So then it comes up with fully original story for the the show, but it can't interfere with what may happen in the manga. So it has to create new characters that they'll be able to get rid of at the end of the arc. It has to not let any of the characters 
grow in any tangible way that might interfere with their arc in the actual story. And so this is why filler tends to, not always, but like 95% of the time, tends to suck. I'd say the worst offense uh, in that sense was uh, in one of the later seasons in Bleach, uh, uh, the main character, Ichigo, is up against a fight, and in the middle of the fight, which in most animes, it's kind of a running joke at this point, big boss fights take usually about four-plus episodes. Uh, Halfway through that fight, they cut to, I believe, a nine-episode filler arc, and then went back to the fight. Yeah, so to put this in Western perspective, imagine you're watching, like, Daredevil, for instance. You have an episode where Daredevil's, like, fighting Kingpin, and then in the middle of the fight, like, Daredevil throws a punch. They're both still standing, and then he just cuts away, and then for several episodes, we just see, like, you know, Foggy doing lawyer stuff. And then afterwards, those four episodes, and it comes back and just continues the fight as if nothing happened. Didn't Community do that exact thing, though? Community? I didn't get like far during, enough. Oh, that. like the end of the Gas League season, there's literally a couple episodes that feel like they're shot out of order because there's this big crisis and then it goes off. And there's a couple really good episodes, but I remember the first time watching going, wait a second, what the fuck's going on? We were just in about this big showdown. Now we're doing a video game episode? And seriously, you need to finish Community because the final episode is... Anyway, point is that... Shonen definitely can have it's funny because some shonen can overcome the jump the shark problem by sheer virtue of if the actual manga story is good, then it can overcome huge amounts of filler. A great example of that is Naruto has the single, I believe still record, single longest unbroken string of filler episodes at like 82 episodes of filler in a row. Yes. And, and go ahead. Oh, no, I was going to say, so, like, Naruto, pretty good show. I mean, yes, now in hindsight, we, uh, you know, anime fans that are quote-unquote cultured, you know, tend to shit on it. But there's a reason why Naruto was one of the big three, okay? So it's pretty good. It's got this 82 episodes of filler. Then it cuts back into Shippuden, which is basically a new show with just the same characters. Kind of the Dragon Ball Z to Dragon Ball situation, which is funny because I would say that Naruto does jump the shark, but it's not that 82 episode filler because basically most fans, myself included, just either skipped that entirely or like, you know, glazed their way through it. Really, the jump the shark is the ninja war, which is just poorly paced. And uh, I didn't even finish the show because it's like at that point I stopped caring so much. (laughs) I've talked with uh, one of our friends, Denim, about like the way filler is used. And I know this is going off tangent, but filler tends to be points where it does feel like a show gets a little shark jumpy because it just loses all train of uh, what's been happening. Um, kind of like right now. <laughs> but uh, with Naruto, like you said, it did all of the story and then did all of the filler. So it never interrupted the story, but when you get to the filler, it's, it's just a slog. So what makes Bleach more of an interesting example than Naruto, because like I said, Naruto, 82 episodes, but then it cuts back into a story that actually is good because Kishimoto is not an unskilled mangeka. So yeah. once it got back into the actual story, it's like, okay, this is interesting. So I can just ignore that 82 episodes of filler. What's more interesting with Bleach is that, um, what's what's the mangeka's name? Kite Kubo. Kubo, all right. Kubo is... Not a very skilled mangeka. I, I mean, I don't know the guy, but I'm just going to say as someone who's read 
a fair amount of manga. Like Bleach was a novel idea with some well done like concepts in the beginning, but Kubo never had longevity and it shows. So they yeah. do this they do this bount arc of filler, and when it comes back to the real story, it's not really worth getting back to. <laughs> yeah, because right? uh, Kubo can like f- like make composition and flow a picture beautifully, but if you really boil down the uh, the beats of the story, he does the exact same story three times over. Uh, main character train, friend gets kidnapped by people who are way stronger, main character has to team up with friends to get stronger, they save friend. And they do that three times through the series in, like, three major beats. And it's it's painfully obvious once someone points that out. Plus, Kubo doesn't, from my understanding, and again, this is someone who, my understanding of Bleach past season three is basically secondhand, so take everything I say with a grain <laughs> of salt. So, so Woundvog here, who's read the whole thing, can tell me if I'm going off yeah. base here. But my understanding is that Kubo also has basically no understanding of how to develop his characters very well, which is why Chad turns into this giant joke where it's like, let's keep giving Chad a cool power and then immediately put him up against the big bad so that he gets beats to try to raise our stakes for, for Ichigo. And let's do that over and over again because fuck this character. All I care about is the main character. <laughs> There's actually an anime character named Chad? Yes. Yeah. It, his uh, that it's a Does nickname. Does he have a popped No, he's this big, gentle giant guy who's half Mexican. If I remember correctly. That is disappointing. <laughs> well, he Kubo does, he does wear a Hawaiian shirt, though. Yeah. He's supposed to wear a polo <laughs> with a popped collar and a sweatshirt, and constantly talk about his trust fund. The bad thing is that Chad is an awesome character in again in the first three seasons I saw. And then I hear that every time in this in the series they keep doing this, they give him an awesome power just so that he can get beaten down almost immediately to raise the stakes for Ichigo's fight with said character. Yeah, so. no, no, that happens. And it actually took up to this point uh that we've been talking about it. I've, and I think like uh Ulrich season eight of Scrubs, I've been blanking it out of my mind. I do remember the exact point that uh, Bleach jumped the shark. Listen. It is the arc after the main villain gets defeated. Uh, ultimately, the main character, or the main villain throughout the whole, the first half of the series uh, is named Aizen, and he he's played off as this mastermind character who's just been uh, pulling strings to get what he wants uh, throughout the whole series. Ichigo... A, I was going to say, he's a great villain at first, but Kubo wrote himself into a corner by basically making him unbeatable. Effectively. Uh, Ichigo pulls a MacGuffin out of his butt and is able to defeat him, but at the cost of the powers that he had been using. Um, and that's the end of the series. You know, it's like Big Bad is defeated, everything gets to go back to being uh, normal, quote unquote, but he has he no longer has powers and cannot help uh, his friends fight anymore. Then we got what was called the Fullbringer arc. Oh uh, yeah, I've heard of this, and it, it's so bad because ultimately it's it's set up in uh, I think it's like two years later. Its own way became a joke. Let's have the let's have the anime do a time skip. Uh, oh, that's a good sign. <laughs> yeah. 
All um, the big shonen do it at some point. Some do it good, some do it poorly. <laughs> and you know, Ichigo's still kind of bummed that he can't use his powers anymore because he sees his friends still going out to protect the town from evil spirits, ultimately. But he ends up meeting these people who, they're called the Fullbringers. They can basically manifest weapons from a sentimental item that they own. And they're able to teach Ichigo to do this, but the twist is they were doing it so the main one, or the main Fullbringer, could use his power to steal that power from Ichigo. The biggest problem, though, is begins its climactic fight with the the Soul Reapers, which are basically magical Grim Reapers in the series, coming back and giving finding a way that they didn't discuss at all before. It's it's just by the way we're back and we found a way to give you back your powers. Here you go, Ichigo. You know I like anime and my head hurts. Uh... Yeah, I, I don't follow anime, and I'm definitely lost. The entire arc is completely made pointless, because even if nothing up to, up to that point had happened, the other characters still would have showed up and said, hey, we found a way to give you back your powers, here you go. You know, this comment about um, how so long... Bad. This comment about how long a show goes is more likely to the shark is also interesting, because so the... So One Piece is the most successful manga ever, period. It's also like 900 episodes long or something like that, like 1,200 chapters. And it it came close to, quote-unquote, jumping the shark for me after a time skip. There's this Mermaid Island arc that's kind of shitty, but afterwards it picks itself up again, and it's like, hey, One Piece knows how to go for 900 900 episodes without really losing steam because it knows how to just keep introducing new characters, have them be the emotional beats while our main characters constantly stay fun and interesting, explore new places, don't drop the ball by pulling shit out your ass. It's like, if One Piece can do it, I mean, Oda's a goddamn master, but still, like, you know, Bleach, come on, man. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was, and it more disappointing, this was straight up the worst of the se- the series got and because they lost they weren't making enough money it's also where the anime ends yeah would make an, it was, and, yeah and it's just like it winning but admittedly even if the anime went further the manga did not get much better well i know so, that i know that it really gets some dragon ball z um problems as in like hey let's have the main villain have eight forms which is a, a way to extend out our chapters for the week, but ends up being really ridiculous in practice. Oh, well, and it, uh, yeah, it just it just got bad because like if you think that they made the first villain too powerful to stop, the, like the final final boss effectively had the power to make it so he wouldn't die, even if you killed him. That's fun. I feel like we've gone over this at great length, but really, I, I, the, the the concept is that in this case, the decline in quality comes down to the the main guy behind it, the Mangeka, you know, just didn't really have the writing chops to overcome the escalation problem in Shonen at all, right? Which yeah, he, he didn't know where to go with it, and even worse, he was very contentious with the uh, producers of the manga. Hmm. So it just, it caused a lot of problems. Ulrich, do you know what the escalation problem is? Yeah, that's 
kind of, I've already forgotten the example we used, but I think Dragon Ball is, oh, supernatural. You kept, you keep having to build to something bigger and bigger and bigger, and then it gets ridiculous. Yes, exactly. Which is funny because like, I'm really into My Hero Academia right now, and My Hero Academia has a great solution to the escalation problem, which is at the end of season one, we see this world's version of Superman, essentially, All Might, have a fight where he basically has to go all out, and that establishes a power ceiling, saying, hey, the main character is working up to this. It means that this is the height of power he can reach, essentially, and we're seeing him work towards that. So by establishing a power ceiling, it helps fix the escalation problem, and shows like Bleach and Dragon Ball and... uh you know, Supernatural theoretically has an has a power ceiling because they're humans, but then they kill death. So what the fuck do I know? So. Yeah, and then they fought God's sister and a whole bunch of other dumb shit. <laughs> so anyway, wonderful. you didn't know God had a sister. Oh, I know, because uh, as Tumblr made the joke about it, everything happens on Supernatural, including Supernatural. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we've been going for about our normal time. Uh, one thing I got to say is, when we set out to do this one, I never thought about anime jumping the shark, largely because I don't watch a lot of it, but I think we came up with a lot of interesting examples of, yeah, it, it does. And when uh, it does, who boy. Yeah. Shark jumping is a universal concept. God what's funny? BDXX. What's <laughs> funny is I feel like it's not actually that common in anime. It's just that when it happens in anime, it happens to shows that are extremely extremely popular because they're the, they're the only ones that go on long enough to really have it happen like with bleach and naruto true all right interesting interesting anyway i mean if we're gonna have this kind of like philosophical conclusion because everyone should know i love to do that right like writing a story for a long period of time is really hard and oh, yeah. generally speaking this kind of problem of decline in quality seems to come from people who don't have their full story in mind when they write it. So they're trying to come up with new things. And some writers are good enough to overcome that problem. Like I, like Oda, for instance, I feel like, you know, one piece is a very good example of this guy knows how to just keep pumping out stories that are, are good, but he's an exception. I mean, most of the time, as we've kind of put it, the longer you write something, the harder it's going to be to keep it of the same quality. So most of the time, you know, do a, I don't know, Breaking Bad's not a good example, but even even Friends, like, they knew how they wanted to begin it, how they wanted to end it, and they made it work. But also, you don't want to be like How I Met Your Mother and slavishly stick to what you had planned. Be adaptable, but... Okay, I'm, I'm going off the rails here. I, I'd say, if, you, if artistic integrity is all important, you should understand when you're reaching that point and just try to end it out gracefully. Like... My favorite show of all time is you, Hakusho. And the last arc is not very good, but the last arc feels like uh, Togashi Yoshihiro knew he wanted to end it, so he's like, all right, I'm going to write this quick 12-episode arc that will end the series with satisfaction and be done because I'm basically out of stories. And even though that arc isn't uh, great, it's not terrible either, and it ended it in a way that I got to feel emotionally satisfied with. And if more shows and more show creators did that, they're like, hey, I'm running out of steam. Just write a quick arc to finish it out, be happy. I think we'd have more shows that we can just be, you know, proud of in entirety. And I'll also add, this is in no way this conversation meant to uh, disparage creators, but uh, you know, it's also if you're feeling a little winded on anything you're making, maybe take a break. Maybe write something a little different. Uh, get your head on straight, and you know, figure out uh, 
where you might need to work on it. Or you could be like my boy uh, Kentaro Mura of, of Berserk, take these long hiatuses, which admittedly as a consumer annoy the hell out of me when I got to wait a year for a chapter, but his quality is consistently amazing. So if you need to take a year off so you can make a good story, I'd, ra- I'd rather have that. I- I'm looking at you, One Punch Man. Ugh. All right, well, then let's move on to our suggestions of the Okay, I, I'll, I'll kick us off. I haven't done anything in this last week that is new. I've just been watching Gotham, playing Pokemon, and trying to do work stuff. I was hoping to get a call from a potential job today, but they didn't, so I'll send an email later. So instead, I'm going to recommend something from my past. I literally just thought of the first thing, which is a book uh, called False Memory by Dean Koontz. And my first question, is Dean Koontz a joke at this point? I don't think so. Why? No. I don't know. I just got the impression he's written so many books. I feel like it's he's well known as like a knockoff Stephen King at this point. So I was just curious. I like Dean Koontz, but I just I kind of got that impression from some corners of the internet. You know, I know him as airport book guy. I've I've heard that joke a few times, but not enough for it to be like a continuously layered one. Okay, well then, False Memory is this like eight hundred page book. It's pretty thick, but it's about simply put a psychiatrist who figures out a specific set of chemicals and hypnosis techniques that allow him to program people, essentially. So he uses it to create unknowing minions and do really, really evil shit. Like, you know, rape people and murder people. And and it's, yeah, and the story follows three of his, we're going to call victims, who through events I don't want to give away, basically become aware of what he's doing and start trying to work against him. And if that pitch is at all interesting to you as a thriller, because this is this is a you know a thriller book. It's not a horror book, but it's meant to be like tense. If that's interesting to you, it's a good long read, give it a shot. I also would add that the the main couple is like Dean Kuntz it's funny. I found that when he writes relationships, they're either some of the best I've ever seen in writing or some of the worst I've ever seen in writing. <laughs> and this is one of the best in my opinion. And I just really like how oh, real, yeah, I just really like how real this marriage feels and these characters feel like very enjoyable, entertaining while still feeling fleshed out and three-dimensional. And this villain is easily one of the most despicable, vile fascinating villains i've seen in anything and especially any book ever so there's my suggestion i guess i'll go uh next so this is an interesting one because it's a star wars and i don't know if you guys know but star wars books have a interesting reputation they're very hit and miss oh yeah and again i haven't read any of the old now non-canon material just because it was weird and not really the right thing. Just so read Thrawn. Yeah, Thr- well, Thrawn has been refolded back into the canon with a new series, which I've heard is really good. I need to check out. Anyways, Bloodlines is part of this new series, and it focuses on what maybe the movies should have. I don't know how you do it. But it all focuses on uh, Leia and the whole buildup to the uh, First Order and everything that was going on post- Return of the Jedi. And it's mainly a kind of a political thriller because Leia knows there's something bad coming down the pipe, i.e. the First Order. And she's trying to, you know, politically maneuver 
people to go, hey, we need to be prepared, something's coming. And then, of course, there's the bombshell revelation of she's Vader's daughter. So it's this really kind of cool insight into Leia as a character, her coming to terms with who her father actually was, reconciling that against who, you know, her father, who the man who raised her, as well as giving you kind of some cool hints into what the First Order is, where they came from. And it's a really really good book for being about politics in Star Wars, which has traditionally been dry and dull. And I read it mainly because I wanted more after watching, you know, both The Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, because I kind of went, I have questions. And everyone said, if you have questions about anything that's led up to this, what is the Republic? What is the Resistance? What is the First Order? Read Bloodlines by Claudia Gray. And at first I was kind of hesitant because, again, it's a political drama thriller, and that's not really my thing. But I loved it, and I gotta say, if you're even mildly interested in Star Wars, give this one a try. It's a solid read. Nice. <clears throat> and my suggestion would probably be, uh, we may have talked about it before on the show, but uh, the YouTube channel Super Eyepatch Wolf, he, uh, he makes some great videos, and in particular, if you want to bounce off of some of the stuff we talked about here, he has two videos called Fall Of, and he the two ones he's done were both The Simpsons and Bleach. So if you are interested in any more information on either of those, I'd say check out his channel. Uh, they're very informative. Wundvog, do you mind if I ask you to give a one more specific suggestion? Which is, we had a, an episode, which I don't know if it'll be the week before this one gets released, but recently with Loremaster of Sotek, where we talked about books to TV adaptations, and we were talking about some book series uh-huh. that are, are really long. And I mentioned you telling me about the Zanth novels and them being 45 uh-huh. pages, in, 45 books in total. So I was hoping while we have you here, if you could elaborate on, on what I shared just a, a bit. Uh, yes. All right. And this is definitely one of my more favorite fantasy series that I've been uh, reading off and on over, like since high school. Uh, they are called the Zanth novels or the Xanth novels. And they're written by the author Piers Anthony, which that is where they got the name. He he is a avid lover of puns, uh, and since you can hear it in his name, Pier Xanth Ani, that's where he got the title of the land. Hmm. Uh, it's it's based in a world uh, where every human is born with a magical talent. They are more or less random. There is some there is some connection as family but you can be born with anything between anywhere from controlling weather to being able to transform people into other creatures to even just being able to give someone a a hot foot (laughs) and it's always been a very fun series especially if like me and the author obviously you love puns so Uh, have you read all 45 books in the series I have not. I've only read maybe about 10 of them, but every one has been super fun. Because I wonder if a book series can jump the shark, and if one that can last 45 books, I'm really curious at the, the, the stability of the quality across that many. <laughs> and, and that is definitely a good question, and I'll, as I get further through the series, I can maybe come back and talk about it. But one of the things that helps with his novels is he keeps it fresh by the world is continuously evolving as it goes. Like, in 
it's about one character. By the time you get to the second, it's about his or his the third. It's about his son, and then there's another one that it it spawns off of onto another side character that you like you met in book two. So it keeps spreading it out and making the world feel a bit more alive. So he's not afraid to basically shift his story to completely different character sets, essentially. Exactly. Thank you. All right. Well, we'd like to thank Woon Vogg for coming on and joining us once again. Always fun. This, even though this one felt uh, felt like it drained me a lot more than I expected it to, but a lot of emotions come up about uh, shows you love that you know just kind of petered out. Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm angry at Scrubs all over again. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Be sure to like, share, and subscribe. Most importantly, that share part, because as we broaden out and show up on more places... We're going to need you to share more often. And if you're watching us on either YouTube or SoundCloud, be aware that we're on, well, both YouTube and SoundCloud. And if there's any platform you'd like us to be on that'd be easier for your convenience, let us know what that is so we can look into it. As always, this has been Lord Commander Ulrich. And his shield brother, Axel Wright. Be sure to tune in next time. And as always, stay honorable.